this time. All the way. Welcome back to Think Tank. I know I've said this a lot on the Adventure Geeks podcast, but it is the return of Think Tank. I am your host, Eric, and those of you who are new to this show, thank you for hopping on board. And those of you who have been listening to me since day one, thank you for sticking by as I've tried to figure out life in this brand new world that we live in right now. Um, So for those of you new to the channel and the podcast, um, the Think Tank, we try to really do more deep dives into some some of the things that we kind of briefly talk about in the Adventure Geeks podcast. So with Think Tank, we'll dive into the psychological aspects of some of these fictional characters. Um, Today's episode, we'll be doing more of a deep dive on an author and some of his works. So it's more going to be along the lines of kind of like a booktube type deal here. Um, So um, with that being said, we will jump right in. Uh, We are going to be doing an episode today on H.P. Lovecraft. So those of you who are born and bred in New England, this is going to be right up your alley as as well as those of you who are into horror is going to be right up your alley. So... For those of you who don't know, H.P. Lovecraft, a.k.a. Howard Phillips Lovecraft, is probably the father of cosmic horror, as well as probably one of the the handful of grandfathers of horror. Um, His work has influenced things such as Doctor Who, the movie Annihilation with Natalie Portman, um, more recently, Underwater with Kristen Stewart. Video games like Bloodborne and Dark Souls were heavily influenced by that. Uh, George R. R. Martin has come and quoted H.P. Uh, Lovecraft as one of his influences. Uh, Stephen King, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing is like spit out right out of um, an H.P. Lovecraft story. Um, and then, of course, famous filmmaker... Guillermo del Toro is also heavily influenced by H.P. Lovecraft. Um, Going to be kind of a dark episode. Um, H.P. Lovecraft, while he is very famous today, was not famous when he was first writing and published. Um, and he has quite the traumatic um, backstory, so we'll get right into it. Um, H.P. Lovecraft was born August 20th, 1890 in Providence, Rhode Island. So those of you listeners who I know are listening from Connecticut, that's not very far away. Um, He was born only child. Um, Mom and dad had him young. And unfortunately, when H.P. Lovecraft was three, his father was actually institutionalized. Uh, so in 1893, um, he was hospitalized for a mental illness. Um, H.P. Lovecraft has come out and said that he thinks that his father was institutionalized because he was having a many psychosis. And back in the late 1800s, we didn't know a whole lot about mental health and didn't really deal with it well. Um, so that was when he was three. And then his grandfather came around and he was actually very 
filthy rich for the business that he was running. And his grandfather kind of took his, his mother and him in for a while. Um, his grandfather actually influenced him to continue to read and, and read uh, classics as he was growing up. Um, such as, uh, let me look. I know he was heavily in influenced by some poets such as Edgar Allan Poe. Um, I believe Herman Melville was another one that he was heavily influenced by. And um, so him and his grandfather were really close and kind of became his father figure. Um, and then unfortunately, he passed away not long after um, when Howard was, I believe, a teenager, he passed away and he downward spiraled from there. Um, Howard um, developed a severe depression uh, after his grandfather passed away in 1904. So about when, yeah, he won, he was a teenager um, and he had even become suicidal for a, for um, a little while, he had been contemplating it until his greater interest in discovering the world around him kind of took grasp and, and prevented him from having a an attempt. Um, he did suffer from anxiety and insomnia as well. And to further his downward spiral in, I believe, 1913, his mother was actually institutionalized as well. So when he was 23, he had basically no parents and no nobody, no family really that he could um, live with and, and, and associate himself with. So that heavily influences a lot of the works that he writes. Um, when he started writing in, I believe it was... Around 1913, 1914, he, start, he actually started writing and eventually was noticed and wrote in the magazine called Weird Tales, where it was kind of like the newspaper where it came out weekly, monthly, what have you, and it featured science fi fiction and fantasy stories and, and of course, horror, um, where he wrote short stories and novellas, and that's how he started to get noticed. So that's kind of a brief synopsis of him. Um, a lot of his works were a little inspired by his history with mental illness and his family's history with mental illness uh, because Howard was, in fact, unfortunately stricken with de severe depression, anxiety, insomnia, which um, is interesting because it really does come forth in a lot of his short stories with, it, with the quote-unquote, great old ones that he features. So that's kind of a, a very quick synopsis of who he was. Um, unfortunately, he did not become famous until, I want to say, the early 19, uh, late 1900s um, when a lot of these horror movies started to come out, like John Carpenter's The Thing and when Stephen King came about. Um but he, he is most famous for coming up with the Cthulhu mythos, which is probably the first shared fictional universe, which is pretty cool. Not so much a book series, 
but a series of different stories that were based off of his his one major theme, which was cosmic cosmic cosmicism, which basically states that there is no recognizable divine presence, such as a god in the universe, in that humans are particularly insignificant in the larger scheme of intergalactic existence. So his universe is kind of run and created by these things called the great old ones, which are these cosmic beings that were once around on earth and in the universe and now are pretty much in a slumber. And a lot of his stories kind of have these explorers and philosophers that stumble upon tombs or cults that worship these idols and slowly awaken them. Um, couple of them just to briefly go over them and again i will post some pictures on our instagram of kind of what some of these look like because these monsters and creatures are very hard to picture um especially with the way hp lovecraft words them but um a lot of them too a lot of the themes is like if you stumble across one of these monsters, you're kind of going to go crazy just by looking at it and your brain can't comprehend the visual of this thing that you're seeing. But, um, three of the one, a couple of the ones that he features is an entity called as which is one of the great old ones and outer gods. Um, and is described as a supermassive black hole at the center and has a shell that is supported on many legs and appendages. So at the center of its mouth is a black hole with these grotesque things on the outside, kind of warming its way through the universe. Uh, the next one, and probably the most famous one, is Cthulhu, which is probably the father of all the great old ones. And he is basically this... Got, has the head of an octopus, a body of a dragon, and is said to live sleeping in the Pacific Ocean among the ruins of his old city, Ryleth. Um, this is probably the one creature that everyone probably has seen in some sort of work or pop culture. Um, this is said to be in the center of his most famous work, The Call of Cthulhu, which I will go into it in a little bit, um, but he is, he's definitely the most famous creature of all of them. And of course, along with the, the theme of the other creatures, your mind goes insane just by looking at it. Uh, the one of the last few I'll talk about is Yag sothoth which is basically the, the progeny of Cthulhu, very similar in presentation and is almost described as a mass of glowing orbs and is featured in the Dunwich Horror, which again is going to be another one of the stories I talk about a little bit later. Um, the last one is um, the Elder Things, which is featured in my most, f my favorite short story, the, at the, in the Mountains of Madness, which I, fingers crossed, will become a movie at some point. But they're basically these things that have been asleep in the Antarctic and this ancient ruin of a very advanced civilization and is 
basically described as like a mass of different tentacles and appendages, pretty hard to describe. Um, and that goes a lot with, again, with a lot of the creatures that HP Lovecraft works with. So this whole mythos is, is I would recommend anybody read this and I will go through a few of the stories, but I will say that they are pretty hard to read um, just because it is very wordy and uses a lot of vocabulary that we don't typically use anymore. And that's mostly because, again, he was writing in the 1913s and 19s, um, and a lot of that vocabulary we really don't see anymore. Um, and again, some of his, his influences are definitely um, the loss of life that he had to go through, um, his history with mental health, as well as around that time it was World War One as well. So that definitely has some influence in some of his works. And of course, he, he went from riches to rags, and you don't really see a whole lot of those stories where he had wealth in that, and he ended up with nothing, and he could actually barely support himself as an author. So that is ba the basic outline of H.P. Lovecraft and what his works entail. Um, I am going to go through a couple of the short stories for you guys just so you can get a glimpse, excuse me, a glimpse of what to expect if you guys do end up picking this up. And I really do recommend it. It, it, it is definitely ha going to have to um, put some time into it, but it, it's definitely worth it just to go through like the history of um, what he has done and how he has influenced so many things and it's very apparent in this work that you'll be reading it and go oh so that's where so and so came from or that idea came from so i want to start with one of the more sh the the shorter um stories and i'll actually read it word for word just because it is a short poem and so you guys know and if you want to get the book i am reading out of the necronomicon which coincidentally is also kind of like one of the things he creates in his stories and basically is the Bible for all of these ancient deities and quote unquote cosmic religion um, that his mythos is surrounded by. But he does have this collected edition of the Necronomicon where it has a lot of his, his works in most of his poems and short stories and novellas. So the first one I'm going to read is Night Gaunts, which is a short poem, one of his first, um, and features a horned winged creature with no face, and it basically terrorizes a village, and they don't make noise, which is even, I think, more terrifying of it. So I'll read it word for word, just so you guys get a glimpse of what his writing style's like. So Night Gaunts. Out of what crypt they crawl, I cannot tell, but every night I see the rubbery things, black, horned, and slender, with membranous wings. They come in legions on the north wind's swell, with obscene clutch that titillates and stings, snatching me off on monstrous voyagings, to gray worlds hidden deep in nightmares well. Over the jagged peaks of Thok they sweep, Heedless of all the cries I try to make, and down the nether pits to that foul lake 
where the puffed Shogoths splash in doubtful sleep. But ho, if only they would make some sound or wear a face where faces should be found. So that's a glimpse of what H.P. Lovecraft's writing is. As you can tell, this in particular is pretty rhythmic, and it's a little unusual for him because it's he doesn't do a whole lot of short poems, um, but this is definitely a highlight, and you can tell... Um, there are there definitely is some Edgar Allan Poe vibes to it, just by the rhythm and the the dark tones of the of the poem. Another thing you can tell, like there's there are a few words that are interesting choices and definitely aren't used as much anymore, such as shogoths and let's see, I mean membranous, but again, not very much. But um, one of the things you'll notice, too, if you ever do read any of these, is a lot of them, again, do feature the main character or the narrator, I should say, as an explorer or a scientist. So you're going to get a lot of scientific words when you're reading this and a lot of descriptions on the environment around them. Um, another note is a lot of these stories do end poorly for the narrator or the world in which the story takes place. So um, I'm going to go through uh, a few of these stories, uh, a few of the highlights for me, um, and I can go from there. There are many, many stories, so I'm only going to touch upon a couple. So one of the next one I'll, I'll get into is Dagon, which was published in 1917. Um, in the actually it was written in 1917 and published in november 1990 1919 of the magazine called the vagrant and this basically features a man who gets lost at sea and lands on a mysterious island surrounded by black waters he then goes and sees this black monolith um within the coastline of this island and notices that there are inscriptions of the this marine life that he recognizes and then some inscriptions that he doesn't rec recognize and is almost alien-like. Um, this, this explorer, this man, then sees one of these unknown creatures that surrounds the monolith and makes this, like, unreal noise that makes this guy become crazy and he becomes kind of disoriented and his adventure kind of goes down from there. Um, the interesting thing is it does get into the backstory of this unknown, unnamed character and how it's kind of, the story is kind of a testament of a tortured morphine addict man who relates to an incident that occurred during his service as an officer during World War One. So there's kind of a parallel with, you know, what war does to, to people and how maybe this creature isn't real or may be real. Um, I'm not going to go too much into it after that because I want you guys to read it. But the um, I will say that, again, the ending of the story is, again, very, very dark and actually ends with um, the narrator's suicide note. So I'm going to leave that there. Um, again, that story is called Dagon. And in this edition of his works... Uh, let me see, just so you guys can get a clue of how long this story is. 
it's about five pages, but they're five long pages in the in the text, and this is pretty small, so maybe a good five to ten pages in a in a different work. Um, definitely not one of his longer stories, but de definitely like a good introduction to his writing style. Second story I'm gonna talk about is the statement of Randolph Carter which was written in December 19, ni December 1919 and published again in the Vagrant magazine in May of 1920. So his, his writing for the most part gets published pretty fast, which I mean, back in that day is almost unheard of. So definitely a kind of a testament to um, the skill that he has in his, his works of art. Um, So the statement of Randolph Carter, this one, this one again falls along the lines of this explorer um, and a student who um, kind of actually loosely represents Lovecraft himself. So it's kind of one of those stories where you can really see his personality and his beliefs in, and it follows um, it's kind of one of the first appearances in part of Lovecraft's dream cycle. So, um, in his mythos, he does have a tendency to, um, write about dreams and how significant they can be to someone's mental status and the effects of the world around them. And Lovecraft based the story on a dream that he transcribed, adding only a preamble to make it more fluid as a narrative. So again, a lot of going a little bit out of what I just said, um, Lovecraft wrote a lot of, a lot of stories based on his dreams. And, and obviously those dreams were probably affected by the traumatic events that, that, um, happened to him. And, um, it basically follows this student and this, I believe it was another occultist, Harley Warren, and they become in possession of a book, which could be probably described as the Necronomicon. And it mentions that um, several of them are in Arabic, and it kind of leads them to visit this ancient graveyard where they think there might be a portal. Um, and again, that's another thing that pops up a lot in these stories is these cosmic portals that cannot be really described. And it basically follows the two of them searching through this graveyard and coming across this undescribable monstrosity that um, not only terrorizes the the main character Carter, but also ends up doing something horrendous to his cohort in crime Warren in this story. Again, it's always going to be ending dark, pretty dark for the most part, but um, those are the first three I've talked about. Um, again, we haven't even really gotten into the whole cosmic aspect yet, but after this break, we will. So stay tuned. So going into something a little more cosmic and actually one of my absolute favorites is the music of Eric Zahn, written in December of 1921 and published in March 1922. 
in the National Amateur, which again is another magazine. Um, I don't think he ended up ever publishing an actual book in that time frame. Um, it wasn't until later where people or editors and publishers took one of his longer novellas and published it on its own. Um, but the music of Ericsson, probably one of my favorites and one of the most interesting in my opinion. So I'm going to read a little bit for you guys just so you can get a better taste of what his writing style is like. So here it goes. I've examined maps of the city with the greatest care yet have never again found the Rue d'Aziel. These maps have not been modern maps alone, for I know that names change. I have, on the contrary, delved deeply into all the antiquities of the place and have personally explored every region of whatever name which could only, which could possibly answer to the street I knew as the Rue d'Aziel. But despite all I have done, it remains a humiliating fact that I cannot find the house, the street, or even the locality where during the last month of my impoverished life as a student of metaphysics at the university, I heard the name, the music of Eric Zahn. So that's just basically the opening paragraph of that story. But it follows this, this college student who's looking for a place to live so he can work on his, his studies and in, in some of his arts. And stumbles across this this building, which it's, it's located in a town that's kind of walled and, and the streets kind of go uphill a little. So a little bit maybe like San Francisco. But... Um, he stumbles onto this building on the street of Rue d'Azil, and it doesn't end up being far from the university either, and is bordered by rivers, dark warehouses, and a large wall, like I was saying. And it almost appears that the street has an appearance of being on a cliff. So he stumbles across this this building and, and finds a room in this this building so he can live. And one night he hears this this old German man by the name of Ericsson playing his viola, which is a, is a stringed instrument, kind of like a violin. And he's an, a musician for the local theater and lives alone on the top floor and often at night will play strange melodies that this student has never heard before. And it's almost indescribable because it, it seems so out of this world kind of I wish they could actually come out with a con uh, like a, a song or something that would give us an idea. That would be pretty cool. But um, throughout the story, he listens to more and more and actually gets invited into the Eric San's apartment to listen a little bit of his music. And then one day, he goes in and asks him to leave because he didn't want him the student listening to the music anymore. And this this man presents more as kind of neurotic and, and he could tell that something's wrong with Eric Zahn. So one night he goes up and, and starts listening to the door and goes and checks on him. And when he opens the door, he was like totally out of his mind that there was something wrong. And he listens... He listens to this music, and it's almost like, <clears throat> excuse me, He's. it's almost like he's not even the one playing in that this cosmic thing is playing for him, and it's 
getting to the point where he his health is starting to be affected. And the strange thing is when the student goes and looks out the window where it seems like this energy that's controlling Eric Zahn is, is coming from, he looks out the window and it looks out into space. And it looks like there's like nothing but space over that wall of the city. So it looks, it almost seems like this little town is in space almost and not connected to the world at all. So this one was definitely easier to read. I enjoyed it a lot just because of the, the connection between music and, and a little bit of the connection with mental health and how it affects people, even the more, more intense music. Um, and the mystery that that's at the end, it almost leaves it open ended. <coughs> I don't know of anything that has come out that has directly portrayed this, but I think this one should be, and not even so much be portrayed as like a, like a horror movie, but more like a, a science fiction, mu not musical, but science fiction drama about a musician. I think that would be really cool. So any directors listening, I'm, I'm willing to pitch for you. <laughs> the next one will that I'll talk about a decent one, and this is probably one of the more well-known ones, and definitely has been portrayed in films. Uh, one of them more recently in 2020 that starred um, Nicolas Cage, um, and this one is The Color Out of Space. First published in 1927, September edition of Amazing Stories, which again, another magazine. <clears throat> there actually was another movie in 2020 that was... Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the movie, the most recent movie was January 2020, directed by Richard Stanley and starred Nicolas Cage. Jolie Richardson, Tommy Chong, Elliot Knight, and Madam Madeline Arthur. And it is actually a pretty good movie. They do a lot of interesting things with the coloration of the movie, which is very, it's one of the key aspects of this short story. And the way they did it really made color horrific, which I think is pretty hard to do. Um, there was another movie that, was done in October of 2020, uh, 2010, and that was made in, in Germany and directed by Juan Vu and was directed in black and white. So it kind of took the color out of it, doing the opposite of what the more recent one did. But this story is kind of a tale of... Um, uh, it's being told by an unnamed narrator. It kind of pieces the story together as you kind of go along. And the story takes place in an area known by the locals as the Blasted Heath in the hills west of the fictional town of Arkham, Massachusetts. So <clears throat> one thing I forgot to tell you guys is H.P. Lovecraft's world, your universe, is fictional, but it is a fictional New England. So it does, it does reference Massachusetts, Rhode Island. Um, I believe New Hampshire, Vermont at times. So it, it kind of goes um, a, with a lot of the states are real, just the towns in them might not be. But the, uh, the environment around it is very much real. It's just the little 
things that he adds in and the names of the towns that aren't necessary, necessarily real and are fictional. <coughs> Excuse me. But going, continuing with this, this story, the color out of space, um, the narrator of the story, or in the move, the more recent movie would be probably Nicolas Cage. Uh, his character discovers that um, many years ago, a meteorite crashed in this small little town and it poisons every living being nearby and vegetation grows large, but foul tasting animals are driven mad and deformed into these different grotesque shapes and the people go insane or die one by one. So it's literally how this meteor has sucked the life out of this town not going to say how it ends so you guys can read it, but it, it again was another really good cosmic horror take and, and kind of really does well with the environmental horror and how Lovecraft really can do that very well. Much like how Stephen King does it in It. Um, I, I know Stephen King's It kind of focuses on the clown, but the town itself in the actual book is a horror element of itself that really needs to be highlighted more. Moving on to another fantastic one that I really enjoyed was The Outsider, another short story written in August 1921 and published in Weird Tales in the April 1926 edition. <clears throat> this one, it opens up with this mysterious individual that's been living alone in a castle for as long as he can remember never got out in the sun never went outside never really had a whole lot of interactions with people and then one night decides to break free in search of some sort of human contact and to see light for the first time and see what the outside world was like and it's interesting the way this is written because it is definitely like being told when you are the character and this unknown individual that has been trapped and it describes the reactions of people around him and it starts to question like what this individual really is and it finally he finally sees in a mirror in this cabin that people have fleed that he's in fact a hideous ghoul-like creature um, hasn't done harm to anybody, just is a ghoul that is everybody is terrified of, which <coughs> almost seem, almost goes along the lines of, you know, it might look like a monster, might not necessarily be one. So this, this ghoul has nothing, and already people are judging it because it's different. I really like how you or the character you're trying to read in the point of view of is the monster not some normal human that is witnessing this monster for the first time so <clears throat> i thoroughly enjoy this one i think this is another four to five page short story that hp lovecraft did and i'm sure definitely has influenced a lot of creatures in video games and movies just like everything else that he writes and and rarely people ever heard of i think he really needs to be a household name at this point especially for those of you who are very much into video games which i'm gearing up another talk with ray about it so um 
the more fame moving on um the more famous one and i won't go through this whole thing because this is one of his novellas which is probably a good 50 60 pages and again this is his long description um old school english vocabulary one of those longer stories but it is his most famous one and that is the call of cthulhu which was written in 1926 and published in the weird tales of 1928 um I do find it interesting that this story came out on the later end of his career <clears throat> and actually took him a while to move up to something like th that that's really this well-known. But The Call, Call of Cthulhu basically follows, and this is one of the few stories where they actually name the, the na main character, and that's Francis Wayland Thurston. Basically, he's... Um, he discovers notes left by his great uncle that, um, and he was, his uncle was a professor and he was looking at these notes of this cult that has been doing some very strange activity <coughs> and long story short, um, him and a couple of individuals research this, this cult and find out that there is this cult of Cthulhu, who is this great old one that people have worshipped. And by joining this voodoo cult, they become brainwashed. And they eventually discover this massive monstrosity called Cthulhu. And they barely escape with their lives at the end. And it, go, it really ha does a very good job describing this this creature of myths, um, not only description, but how it affects people. And it kind of has a very good narrative of um, what's going on in, inside the head of this main character, which is very hard to do with like this um, mythos and the psychology behind this mythos. Very good story. Highly recommend. Definitely one of his more famous works. Um, moving on, and I apologize if I'm going a little fast. I just don't want to spoil too much for you guys because I definitely want to see if you guys will read some of this and join me in a chat about it. I want your thoughts and opinions on um, a topic that kind of has been swept under the rug a bit but is utilized so much. Um, another story that really popped out and again is one of his more popular ones is, uh, the Dunwich Horror, it's, which is another longer one. That's a novella written in 1928 and published in April 1929 in Weird Tales. <laughs> and this again is about an isolated village in Dunwich, Massachusetts, where this, this character, Wilbur Waitley, um, is very deformed and out of place and ends up being, at the end, a child of one of the Elder Ones and how a creature in a village kind of changes the, the area around it. But it's basically, again, goes along the lines of somebody investigating the area and how there's been some things that have 
come up that have been affecting the village and the librarian and the detective that's in this story. Or I shouldn't say detective, but it, it really follows the librarian and two professors of the school in that in that town that are investigating what's been happening with Wilbur Waitley and his family. And it involves a lot of grotesque. This is one of the more grotesque stories that has a lot of gore mentioned in it and and what the creature can do on a physical standpoint rather than just a mental standpoint. And it's it again, it expands the mythos that Lovecraft started. The last one I'll probably talk about and Probably the hardest but most fun stories that I've I read by him is in the Into the Mountains of or at the Mountains of Madness, which is again probably a close second to Call of Cthulhu, but is definitely the longest story he's done. And this is basically about an Arctic expedition. Um, so it's going to have a lot of scientific words and follows explorers that are going into Antarctica to discover this this ancient civilization buried in in the ruins of these mountains in Antarctica and they fall they find these <coughs> excuse me these ancient beings called the elder things that again I was talking about before that are like these these almost blobs you can definitely tell where John Carpenter's The Thing comes from by reading this story. But it kind of goes through this exploration of this new civilization and how um, the explorers kind of dwindle one by one. And this one definitely has some, some gore and some mental horror added to it. Um, it is in the style of almost... Um, scientific notes like it's being told through explorate like some explorer's journal which is pretty cool and a little different than the others um i of all of his stories i hope that this one becomes a movie just because this is the most feasible one to do and the effects will be amazing and the story is pretty awesome for a horror movie um, I know for a while Guillermo del Toro wanted to do it, but has never gotten the proper fundings to make this movie. Um, <clears throat> as far as movies go in like TV, H.P. Lovecraft is very hard to adapt, and that's because of the not so much the monsters and what they look like, but the psychologic psychological aspects that they cause people to feel. Because a lot of the stories are surrounded by cults and how these monsters affect you mentally just by looking at them. So it would be very hard to depict in a, in a movie or TV show. A couple of things that I wanted to, to say before we kind of wrap up this return to Think Tank. Um, this, again, is a shared fictional universe that has been expanded upon throughout the years and have included works by Alan Moore, Victor Lavalli, August Derleth, Richard L. Tierney. So just because he started this, it's been opened up to other authors, which I don't think has 
I've seen in literature yet, uh, or after this, I should say, I don't, again, if you guys know of any, let me know, but, um, <coughs> it seems like HP Lovecraft started the very first shared fictional universe where authors were actually invited to add to it and has grown since the passing of HP Lovecraft. The other thing I did want to say too, and I don't think I mentioned earlier is Howard actually did die in March 15th, 1937, only at 46. So he died pretty young and he died of intestinal cancer. So, um, he barely got to probably the tip of the iceberg before he passed away, unfortunately. Um, again, it's, he's most famous for writing short stories and novellas. Um, I don't think he ever wrote a full on book, which is fine because these stories are definitely read better in the shorter version and has more of a, an impact. Um, Oh, one other thing, too, is that he was kind of a genius growing up. He was proficient in reading and writing at the age of three. So he started reading very early on and started cra honing his craft very early. And I want to say probably the closest thing we've got to his style is probably Stephen King at this point. Um, so yeah, uh, let me know guys, if you enjoyed this episode and if you have any ideas of what you would want to hear, I know I'm planning a couple of things more so surrounding the Witcher and um, my goal is to hopefully get another episode in another week or two. I'm going to try to go bi-weekly so we don't run into too much being released at one time because I because of Ray's Comic Corner and Ray's history stuff, as well as our Adventure Geeks main episode. But thank you again, guys, for listening. My name is Eric Fagan, and you have just listened to Think Tank. Thanks for joining. Because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows?